0: I'm gonna pray and we're gonna get started on some teaching. God, we are here this morning in the midst of our real and honest lives. We're here this morning as um, people who are caught up in the frenzy of a holiday season with calendars full with to-do lists that are long. But this morning we take a pause, we take time. We settle our heads and our hearts to hear from you, to wrestle with ourselves, to make space for you to heal to make space for you to challenge. Um, and we do that in community. We do that next to each other. We do that in, um, in, in intentionality this morning, and we ask that you would um, meet us in the place we're at, that these words from Scripture would awaken A sense of trust and joy within us for who you are and what you've done. Um, That we would be people who participate with what you do. We pray these things in your name. Amen. We're going to... I think we're going to take our offering, but... Offering... I guess, yeah, we're going to take our offering. (laughs) Now, here's the thing. Uh, some of you may have gotten an, a letter in the mail, just kind of a year-end um, recap, a little bit of where we're headed in the, in the new year. Um, know that we are um, very grateful for your giving, for your sacrificial giving. Um, it's just a great encouragement to this place. Um, but there's definitely challenges ahead for our church. So, encourage you to think and pray about what it looks like to be a part of giving to this place. Um, We don't talk a lot about that. Uh, Probably should. I should a little bit more. Um, But uh, we'll have more of an update coming up in January. We have an all-church annual meeting in January that um, we'd encourage you to be at. So, but here we go. Honest Advent. That is our theme that we're, in a sense, jumping into as a church the last few weeks. Uh, Randy McNeil started us off talking about hope. Last week, we talked about peace. Today, we're going to take a stab at joy. And some of you are probably like, yeah, that sounds far-fetched for me at this moment in my life. Um, last Sunday, um, every Sunday, Angela and I get some coffee together before this, and um, we're sitting there at our, our spot, and I asked Angela, I threw a question out to Angela. I said, give me one word. Like if I was to just check in with you and you were to give me one word, how you feel right now. And it was just kind of a long pause. And she looked at me and she said, unenthusiastic. <laughs> and I loved it. It was honest. Um, if you know Angela, uh, she's not Mrs. Christmas, um, and that's okay. <laughs> um, something that I had to learn. It took a few years to figure that out. Oh, you really don't get into this. Um, but maybe some of you are the same way. Maybe you, some of you are kind of unenthusiastic right now as well. There's just a with mm, life. Scripture tells us that. Uh, the expression of God, uh, of the love of God, is embodied in Jesus. And that joy is a byproduct of us experiencing God with us. And it's hard to do that sometimes. It's hard to feel that sometimes. Christmas is a mixed bag for so many of us. Because on the one hand, there's this excitement and anticipation. If you're a kid or if you have kids, there's some of that going on there. Um, But it also brings up all the other stuff, right? It brings up uh, separation from people, from family. Um, It brings up all the... Some fears, some frustrations, some disappointments. It all just kind of comes to the surface. But I want to take a second... And do a little audience participation because you guys look so lively. <laughs> are you lively? I mean, are, do you have do you have caffeine? I want you to think about when you were a child, when you were a kid, and I want you to think about Christmas, and I want you to think about like some of your favorite memories. It could be something simple, could be a food, could be a a, a, a tradition. Um, And I just want to, I want your mind to recall that, okay? What do you remember? Now, for me, one of the things I remember, I'm going first, like any good small group discussion leader, I remember the way our house was set up in Clayton, California, and we had the tree set up, and there's a couple couches in that room, and I just remember laying there as a kid. And no one else is in the room, and the lights are on it. And just like the feels, right? Did you guys ever put tinsel on a tree? Yeah, cats love tinsel. We didn't have cats, so we had tinsel. Um, but just the glitter, you know, just, I don't know. I'm getting a little Hallmark Channel on you right now. What do you remember as a child? What do you love? What do you remember? What do you miss? Throw it out. Yeah. Oh, that's awful for them. (laughs) So you'd grab your stocking, run in there, and then just just dogpile your pants. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, Brad. I remember one day when I was, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12, and uh, I remember smells. Um, That's unfortunate. (laughs) (laughs) My grandpa had bought uh, a wreath. Day and, and this is in Indiana and we were uh, we were driving home and I remember the smell of pine in that in that house in that car along you know and it's it's lightly snowing I mean it's just a perfect Christmas season yeah you got lightly it all snowing I'm with my grandpa there's this pine smell and when we get home my mom is baking and there's this cinnamon baking smell and I think that was Christmas Eve and I'll never forget that so yeah the smells. Anybody else? I like toys. toys. <laughs> Christmas pageants. Christmas pageants. Nice. Anybody else? Yeah. Sounds so quintessential, (laughs) Jaden. Anybody else? Yeah? We would go, uh, I was a group in Washington, and we'd go get our Christmas tree every year and like go chop it down ourselves Mm and walk through the forest. And we'd all get so excited. And then the act itself was actually like very divisive in the family because you guys didn't agree? Oh, okay. Sounds like a good memory. I know, you're getting thing. to it. And then we'd get home, and I would be like, we're making this happy. And so then I would put Christmas music on, and then everybody would get into it, and then we'd like have a great time putting the Christmas tree up and dancing around, and then it gets all cute and warm and fun. Elena, that also sounds like you, <laughs> making it happy again. <laughs> Did you have one, Shannon? Yeah. 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 Every year, and uh, every, every parishioner would come and put on the ornaments, and since I was small, uh all the small children would go under the tree, and I don't know if it's necessary, but we would put ornaments on underneath the tree. Which, yeah, there you go. Why do we decorate this tree? Listen, if anybody wants to decorate this tree outside, <laughs> Randy's doing it. Randy's going to fall off a ladder and die, and that will be the saddest tree. I know. Elena, we need you. Make this happy again. In scripture, joy is rooted in the idea of Tov, which we talked about all fall. That God, it's both rooted in God and the way that God wants us to live in the way he intended. And so a lot of times what we've experienced around Christmas is we return to moments, right? Uh, Moments of joy and anticipation, especially if you're around kids. Um, Sometimes we can taste some fresh perspective in our lives. Um, Sometimes it just has a way of calling us back. And John's gospel is really, really interesting because his whole gospel, if you read Matthew, there's a genealogy and all this stuff with Mary. And and then if you read Luke, same thing. But with John's gospel, there's no real, there's no Old Old Testament prophecy. There's no family lines. It's just Jesus's origin story different. And the literary summation of the whole book is this idea of God with us. And I don't know if you caught that in the Zephaniah passage, but it points us or it kind of reorients us to a reality of God wanting closeness with us, wanting connection with us. So in verse uh, John 1, uh, verse 10, it, it goes like this, he was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Now, if this was the end of it, it would sound kind of like a sad ending, right? Just like Elena's family arguing in the forest, that's not the ending of the story. There's a word that's called the hinge, And it starts in verse 12, yet, or but, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children Children of God. Now, this is what John's way of saying, and this is, if you get really nerdy into the way he's writing, he's saying, pay attention here. Pay attention to this point. To all who did, it, he became the right to become children of God. And to unpack this, we're going to unpack this here. It says the, the words, the right, are better translated to the power to become children of God. Power to become children. Seems kind of weird. <laughs> um, it seems like all the children just want to do is grow up, Right? And as a kid, you're like, I can't wait till I'm older and I can drive and I can do, you know. But this is a whole different flipping that John's doing in the minds of his readers. This whole idea signifies authority and ability, right? Children of God. And this idea of being children of God is this, I mean, you carry what your parents give you, for better or for worse, you carry their name, in, in a sense, a little bit of their nature. Like there's things I have that I do that are very Wes Ashley or very Kathy Ashley. For better or for better, better. <laughs> there's things my kids do that they get mostly from Angela. And he gave them, it says that he gave them the power, this authority, to become children of God. And it's a small statement that somehow has shifted this, like, what does this mean? It shifts something in us to become children of God. Like, when you, this, John's trying to paint a picture that saying yes to Jesus is actually Means a new origin story for us. This is where we get to a point pretty soon in the Gospel of John, the, the football verse, John three sixteen, <laughs> being born again. This idea of being reborn, children of God, a new origin story, and this in, God, in John's economy somehow. Marks our lives with power, with authority, with a new nature, with a new way. And he goes on to 13, he says, Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. So, natural descent, meaning privilege meaning uh, you weren't born into uh, something special, your bloodline, your, your na- national country of origin. None of that matters at all, which we, we don't really get that. We're Americans. <laughs> we feel really fortunate on where we live. But think about living somewhere else, like England. I'm just kidding. Um, that... <laughs> I have one of those in my house. <laughs> By the way, can we just all have a moment of silence for England? They lost to France yesterday. Oh, the French. Gosh. Again with the French. Anyhow. But it's this idea, John's saying it It, it has nothing to do with who birthed you or where your family, how successful your family is or how prestigious your family has Nothing to do with that. And he, and he says it has nothing to do with human decision. So it has nothing to do with you having wishable thinking or having capability or or putting all the pieces together. And it says, or a husband's will, which is seems I don't know what this means totally. But this whole idea of uh, it's not it, some some scholars think it has nothing to do with human methods. Um, I don't. I'm still trying to figure that one out but being born of God. It's not a biological journey. It's something outside of us, which is really hard for many in our day and age to grapple with. Like uh, there's, a, there's something outside of, of me that has the ability to, to give me new life. John three sixteen is this idea of Jesus is telling Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee, Who's got some good bloodline, who's got some religious uh, chutzpah to him, he's saying, Hey, 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 Nick, it's not about any of that. It's not about any of that. And central to all that John is getting at is this he's pointing back to the beginning. And what is on offer. Uh, from line one is Jesus' origin story, that Jesus came from heaven before the beginning. And what is on offer, according to John, is when it comes to being, uh, becoming children of God, we receive his name and his nature. And his origin story, in a sense, influences our recreation story. So if we become God's kids, then we carry his DNA, is what he's getting at. In his DNA, it has, this, has power to it. It has access to God's world in it. We are participants. We are family. We are sons and daughters that bring heaven to earth, wherever you live, wherever you work. And that's why it's no longer uh, uh, polite um, in the sense that we ask God for access. So it's like this audacity to live as if you lived there. We had Uh, Rob's family from England, his parents were here for three weeks, and um, it's always hard to stay in somebody else's house, right? To feel like you can, you know, um, just do things, like get something out of the fridge, you know? Um, And they would always ask, they would ask things like, hey, is it okay? I'm like, yes, this, this place is yours. Live like you live here, kind of a thing. But it's hard, Right, it's hard to live like you live here, and so when it comes to our relationship with God, sometimes it's hard to live like this is actually true—that we're actually children of God, that we're actually part of the family, that we can actually grab our stockings like Brooks' family and just jump in the bed and open them up. It, it's really hard for us to get this in our heads. Paul tries to get this in our heads. When he writes Romans, he writes this passage out of Romans 8 to the people. By the way, we're going to study Romans in the new year, February-ish. He says this in Romans 8, verse 14, and this will not be on the screen, so Terry, don't worry about it back there. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. This idea Paul is putting pushing into is that we're children, that we're adopted. And it's tough to see Some of us have a hard time experiencing the love of God because we have this, we have a past. We have a family of origin. We have things that, as being human beings and experiencing both love and pain growing up, that for some of us, our family of origin is actually holding us back from really experiencing God's love. That's why we do things like faith walking around here that has this way of just opening up some some reflection on our family, on our lives as kids, because it's kind of where we learn, where we've chosen how to be, okay? And um, some of us have a hard time experiencing God's love because of how our family operated when we were kids. Now, this idea of adoption in Roman circles is a beautiful thing. It's, and we're not going to get into all of it today. I, I've spent some time talking about Roman adoption. But a few of the things that are beautiful about Roman adoption is the, the father, the patriarch of the house, made the decision to bring someone into the family and adopt someone into the family. And by doing that, that adopted child became a full-fledged heir like all the other kids that were born in the family. And in Roman family circles, you could disown your own kid, your biological kid but you could not disown an adopted kid. You could not change your mind. And that's what Paul is getting at here. We've been brought in as adopted children, and God's not changing his mind. And it's just a beautiful thing. And this, this idea of the creator is recreating like we have recreated new origin stories in our lives. And I know some of us in here are having a hard time wrestling with that. Like, but I'm still the same idiot. I w- <laughs> yes, <laughs> we have this tendency to revert to these defaults in our lives that are different for each of us. The point is, is that we need to keep remembering that we are a new origin story. That we are a new creation that what we were before is not who we are, and that idea changes everything and invites us to receive the title child and become like one, become like a child. Now, some of you are like, well, that, I mean, what does that mean? Well, I'm not saying childish behavior that demands discipline kind of a child. I'm, I'm talking about this invitation To be like a child, as John talks about, and as Paul talks about. It's this pathway to salvation, to healing, to invitation, to live life how it should be lived. And we see this, like, let's pay attention to kids. Some of you parents are exhausted paying attention to your kids. But the reality is, every single time I hang out with a parent, they always talk about their kids. And they're exhausting and they keep you up and they wake you up and they need things and all the stuff. But kids are, by and large, optimistic. They're full of wonder. They're decisive. They'll tell you they want chicken nuggets and not vegetables, like Wayne. (laughs) They're unashamed. They're totally unashamed. They, they're full of delight. I don't know if you hang around here long enough after church to watch our kids running around. They eat the tops off donuts. Just the tops. And it's usually the moms holding the rest of the donut in their hand. <laughs> and they chase each other and they play why it's so great to work with the kids downstairs. Like if you, I'm, this isn't, I'm just telling you right now, when you talk to the people who work with the kids downstairs, they like, it's meaningful because they'll say something out of wonder and curiosity and it, it affects you. James K. A. Smith One of my favorite authors, he wrote this in his book, The State of Joy. He says, joy is found in an experience of losing oneself, of being caught up in something bigger, something beyond. Such experiences of joy do not require the dissolution of consciousness, but they do seem to require a release of self-consciousness or from self-consciousness. Does that make sense? Like this idea of just being caught up. And a lot of times as adults, we, we, uh, we see people so often that go to an escape, whether it's alcohol or drugs or, or TV or food or whatever, it's an escape. That's not joy. That's not being caught up in something bigger. That's numbing, right? And we all want to be caught up in something bigger, But here's the problem. We're all forced to grow up. Like this machine we live in just forces that into us, right? There's something exciting about growing up, but there's also something sad. Taking control, you know, uh, creating safety, and the mystery just kind of dies out, and certainty becomes the thing that we all long for. And some of you might be saying, yeah, becoming like children, that sounds great, but we live in the real world. My family, our family, many of you have experienced this, what I'm about to share as well, but our family has experienced a little bit of fracturing over the last couple of years with a part of our family, and it's been painful. Um, We don't have answers to why, or it's even hard to figure out how to mend it. Um, And my nephew, his name's Jake. He has autism, and he's the sweetest kid. Um, He's always been the sweetest kid. And he calls us on Thanksgiving. He calls Keelan, my son. They're about the same age. And he calls Keelan. And we haven't seen Jake in a bit because of family stuff. And um, he gets on the phone with Keelan and Angela. and He just shares how much he wants to be with us again and um, be in a relationship again. And I don't know if you've ever spent a lot of time with people who have autism or... Um, there's just, just so much joy. I mean, there's just so much, like, honesty. Like, he's the most innocent kid, and he, he can't lie. <laughs> um, we've tried to get him to. Um, <laughs> it's been fun family stuff. What kind of games do you play at your house? Um, but he's just so full of joy and love and he just doesn't understand and he just wants to be in relationship with us again. And I start thinking about that. I'm like, that's what childlike life is. That's what John and this, this wonder, this like, I don't care what you said or what you did. I, I just want to be in relationship with you, kind of childlike love. Love. Now here's the deception of the reali- The deception of the enemy is that, um, that 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 being childlike is not reality. The deception of the enemy is um, cut people off, push people away, um, insulate yourself. Um, don't wonder. Don't dream. Don't hope. I just want to tell you, like, following Jesus is not a maintenance life. It's just not. It's not a maintenance life. It's not like, let's just get by and survive and push the people out of our lives that are hard and look for certainty (laughs) and control. The life that I think John is putting on offer through Jesus is a like a holy reality with a holy imagination. Like an invitation to look at the world with wonder and as like a child would, to see things differently. And this is a gift. This is part of that born a new thing, this like new origin story thing. This is the gift of it. This is part of that gift. And the gift is something that we simply either, we just must receive it. That's all we can do is receive it. But then when you receive it, when you receive what's on offer from Jesus, and this is the thing that I think is really hard for a lot of us, is you have to cultivate the crap out of it. (laughs) I said crap. You You have to cultivate it. Like this is the gift, right? And now you have to cultivate that gift. You have to Make this, push this into all the corners of our lives. How do we do that? We practice it. You courageously move forward. You re-architect your imagination and, and, and your life around that gift of childlike beauty, new origin story adopted into God's family, sons and daughters kind of stuff. And there's always going to be a tension of leaning into God's reality because we live in this world that's constantly at odds with it, is going to be attention to it, and we're going to feel that pull towards control and whatever. But accessing God's power through His Spirit, power to to see this greater reality around us than we see. Now, as we close, children have three things that I think are really important for us on this journey the first one is curiosity. Kids are so curious. And I love that. Um, And so what would curiosity look like for us? Well, I think curiosity is kind of an on-ramp to connection for us. Meaning being curious about who God is. That we lay down our perspectives. You know, some of us in this room, we got to understand that I would say for 100% of us in this room, we have a comfortable, safe version of God that has worked. But then life hits it. And we have kind of a... we, we, We can't understand it. We're like, no, I thought it was supposed to be like this. And so what could God do... How could your, version, your vision of who God is get bigger than it was before? Well, a lot of times it comes through pain, and a lot of times it comes through hardship, and a lot of times it comes through suffering. And, and what if we became people who were very curious and we asked, started asking questions like, what could God do with my story? Now that there's this new chapter in it, what could God do with my job? What could God do in this city? God, what are you up to? God, what could you do? That kind of curiosity. Second one is wonder. Um, this idea of centering ourselves in God's delight, around God's delight. Many times we think mostly in our lives about our future or our past. Some of you, you've got a lot happening and, and you're excited for the future, but right now it's just kind of, mm, because the future is what you're really hoping for. Some of you are just like Stuck on a repeat with things that have happened in your past. And we miss this present. Like being present. Like the past is what it is, the future is what it will be. But what is right now in this moment? Recognize who God actually is, not what we thought He was. Listen, I want to be, I've, I've noticed that I like to be around people who don't see this world as a done deal. And whether those people are Christians or not, that's what I've noticed. Like, I get to work with people outside of the church, and it's just super fun to, like, I, I think there's a lot of people outside the church, and I guess outside of the faith, that have a great deal of joy, independence, I mean, I mean and presence. They're, like, present in the moment. And they don't see this world as a done deal. And I th- have actually been around a lot of Christians that have a very cynical, angry, God's yeah, boring, God's going to burn this place down, So, and he's going to rapture us. Uh, this isn't in my notes. So if you want to talk about the rapture, let's do that. The reality is that life... A, a not-yet-life is on offer. And God wants to restart your imagination. And the last one, and I think the hardest one, is dependence. But if you look at kids, they're so dependent. They can't drive to the store. and Such a trust, right? What's for dinner? <laughs> um, this idea of reliance and dependence, I think for some of us brings us a lot of fear, but it's actually meant to bring us joy. I think it really is. Not just that God will meet your needs, and I think that's a part of it. I just think that dependent people are free people. And I think that's so backwards in our, in our world. Our world says, don't be dependent on anybody and you will be free. Free. And I actually see it differently in Scripture. I think dependent people are free people. That we surrender our control and rest and play like children. So today I just want to say this just to remember that you are God's child, you are born of God. And I wonder if there's an invitation here today, and for some of you, maybe it's just like a first time, like, I just never thought of it that way. I thought it was like, uh, I'm a horrible person, and, and, and God died for that, and now I just need to go to church Know you are loved deeply and pursued by the Creator God, who wants to recreate you and give you a new origin story, so that you could experience this childlike wonder of being on mission with God in this world. And for some of you, the the the, the invitation today is to become a child again. The last couple of years have brought a lot of fear and. Uh, searching for certainty and searching for control, and you've lost that curiosity and wonder and dependence on God, and you want it back. So real quick, just came to mind, maybe a practice today. It's Sunday. I know you might have a lot going on. Um, Maybe maybe you should go home. This is going to sound like you're going to get very angry with me. Maybe you should go color. (laughs) maybe you should go play a game, like maybe you should go watch like some beautiful nature show and be in awe. The passage I read when we started, I'm going to close with. It comes out of Zephaniah, like I shared. It's the prophet Zephaniah. And the prophet Zephaniah is a fourth generations down from the king Hezekiah. So if you're familiar with the Old Testament, there was a king named Hezekiah. And um, he kind of late in life came around to who, Jesus, who God was. And um, the people of Israel were just making poor decisions after poor decision based on their leader, based on their king. So Zephaniah is a prophet, but he's blood lineage of a former king, which is wild. And he's in Jerusalem, and the book was written sometime, scholars believe, sometime between 641 and 612 BC, and it's before Israel is carted off to Babylon. Babylon. Now, many, many scholars believe it's right around the same time as Jeremiah. So um, you can read Jeremiah, you can read Zephaniah. Zephaniah is shorter. (laughs) And it's not puppies and rainbows, Zephaniah. It's not. The part I read to you was the rainbow part, was the exciting conclusion to a very honest, brutal prophecy. And the prophecy was judgment on Israel for taking control, ultimately for taking control, for mixing religious allegiances. And he talks about in this prophecy, the remnant. And the word remnant means what is left over after a catastrophe or a purging. What's left. And all throughout this book, this letter, it talks about salvation. That God will restore their fortunes of the remnant, that he will eliminate their enemies, that he will increase their territory, that he will give them peace, and that he will bring them salvation. Now, what you need to know about the history of Israel is They got carted off. The Babylonians came in, burned the city down, killed a bunch of people. It was brutal. It was ugly. It was gross. And they carted off people to Babylon. Think of the book of Daniel. But here's what the prophet says. says, it's not all doom and gloom. I'm being honest with you. But here's what the prophet says at the end of his prophecy. I'm gonna read it again. Sing, daughter Zion. And they're like, You want us to sing? Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. Can you catch the sons and daughters part, the children part? The Lord has taken away your punishment. Has anybody taken away a punishment for you in your life that you feel like you deserved? He has turned back your enemy. Has anybody ever stepped in between someone that was trying to harm you? The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. God is with you. John's gospel, God with us. Jesus, Emmanuel. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. I wanted to dig into what that meant. I don't know what that means. I would love to find out. Homework for some of you nerds. The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves. That same word means heals. He will take great delight in you. Listen to this. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. The Creator God sings over you, sings over us. So today, our response is going to be singing. We've backloaded our gathering with singing. And we're gonna sing as if God is singing over us. We are gonna sing as if we are children. We're gonna sing as if we're unashamed, that we have wonder and curiosity and dependence. Let me pray. God, this morning we we know that you're inviting us into seeing our lives as recreated. That we have different origin stories, no matter what our family of origin, no matter what our ethnicity, no matter how we were born into economics. That you have adopted us, that you have pulled us into your family. We are sons and daughters of the king of the universe. And you're inviting us to live with childlike wonder. And love and optimism and hope and peace, right in the middle of difficult things. And so, God, this morning I pray that if there's somebody here that has that first kind of inclination of like what it looks like to be adopted into your family, that they would open their heart up for that this morning. And for many of us who have just gotten kind of sucked into life as maintenance, as usual, that you would reawaken in us a childlike joy and wonder. And let us sing. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Would you guys stand? We'll sing together.